It's Saturday, September 20th, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. My name is Jared Weiss. With me is Larry H. Russell. We've got another good one for you. Before we even get into what we're going to talk about today, we got to talk about the free ticket giveaway going on at CLNS. A free pair of Celtics tickets to any home game in 2015. All you got to do to enter is simply subscribe to Celtics Beat on iTunes and Stitcher, and you'll be entered into a raffle to win a pair of seats to any game. That's right, Jared. All you have to do is just go to iTunes, Stitcher, go to our website. It's right there for you. Simply subscribe. Any home game, LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kevin Durant and the Thunder, or Jiminy Joe and the Charlotte Bobcats, or the Charlotte, excuse me, the Charlotte Hornets this year. I'm wrong. You get to pick any game you want, free pair. Just simply subscribe to the show. All right, well, we got to talk about uh, some of the stuff on CLNS right now. Eric Wood wrote a really nice column breaking down the roster uh, r- just ahead of uh, training camp, which is going to be starting soon, talking about who will be here on opening night. And then a guy that I've met before, Larry H. Russell, guy I'm talking to right now, had a, a big report dropping news that Brandon Bass is putting his home for sale in Needham. So a lot to speculate about there, but definitely give that one a read on CLNS Radio. Yeah, actually, um, he has already put his house for sale on the market. It's been on the sale this summer. Not sure how it's going. Kind of tough for a multimillionaire to sell his home. But, yes, Brandon Bass's house is for sale. It's on the market. What do we make of that? Uh, Obviously, at the very least, we know it's the last year of his contract. He might have to move on. He's a veteran player. He may not have as much value at a team like the Celtics. Or maybe he does know something and maybe a trade is very much in the works. We know that Zach Lowe reported earlier in the summer that the Celtics tried giving away Brandon Bass really for nothing. I think that they tried trading Bass for the Golden State Warriors trade player exception and the Warriors declined, which would have been basically Brandon Bass for nothing, just shedding his salary. So as we get close to the camp, maybe as some teams, I know this in San Antonio sort of floated th- some things out there. Reports are they've worked out Michael Beasley, of all people. Maybe they have, may have a need for Bass, but it's starting to look like maybe Brandon Bass makes this team. Or not, he'll obviously make the team, but maybe Brandon Bass isn't on this team come October 29th or whatever the date is against Brooklyn or other players as well. But a guy like Brandon Bass up in the air, and there's many players as well that's up in the air, as Eric Wood put in his column this morning today. Well, the thing with Brandon Bass is that if if you're going into the last year of your contract with a team that you're not expecting to make you a competitive offer because you're probably not the right fit for them at their current stage of their development, it makes a lot of sense for you to put your house on sale now because you might be leaving it in about seven or eight months. So he might be looking at it as that I'm probably going to leave at the end. He might be look he might be getting a new house for all we know. Uh, but he might be downsizing to a condo because he knows he's going to be possibly be leaving soon or maybe signing a one-year deal. Uh, but it makes sense for Brandon Bass to be making that move now. But obviously, we don't know exactly what him putting his house for sale means. It could be that he's moving into Tom Brady's old house or something like that. We don't really know. Yeah, Tom Brady's old condominium down there in the back of the bay. I believe Brady just moved into his new 20,000-square-foot home just off the fourth Primrose Hole at the Country Club next to Pine Manor and Brookline. So he's certainly upgraded. Certainly Brady's getting ready for a long stay. Brandon Bass, yeah, downsizing to a condo, maybe even downsizing to a hotel room, as he's probably certainly one of many players that's sort of sketchy on the roster. I mean, I'm looking 
at Eric's piece right now. I mean, look at all these players, Jared, that it's just like, ugh, I don't think that there's really much here. I mean, you look at maybe Olenek and Sullinger, I know I'll see them there on opening night, obviously Marcus Smart. But, I mean, just guys like Marcus Thornton, it's just like, or, or Gerald Wallace, I know the Celtics are dying to get rid of him. There's so many players that the Celtics are either dying to get rid of, i.e. Gerald Wallace, or likely will get rid of, i.e. Marcus Thornton, Keith Bogans, and then other players that just don't have the value to this team that they should. Because Brandon Bass is a solid player. He's been in the league a long time now. I want to say about eight years I want to say he's been in the league since around like 05, 2005-ish. Where's stats, Adam, to look that up for me? So his value just it, – it just he does not bring enough to a team like the 2015 Celtics as he would have said to, to what he brought to the 2012 Celtics. Well, the thing is I don't think there's been any decline in production from Bass. It's just that he's in a position now where his – the what he adds to a team isn't as valuable in Boston as it would be in a team like San Antonio where – I think he would be a nice fit, even if he's not a three-point shooter, because uh, San Antonio, one of the most important facets of that team is that they're all shooting threes, and they keep the floor spread of power, and they can uh, pass the ball really well, really snappy movement. That's not really Brandon's game, but Brandon's still pretty valuable to any team that's trying to make a, a run at a title. Um, at his current salary, though, I don't think a lot of teams want to pl- uh, want to pay about $7 million for a kind of limited, good at what he does, but still not very multidimensional player like Bass. But of course, once the, I mean, his contract will be up before this, but you mentioned Zach Lowe's reporting. One thing he's been really doing an amazing job with this summer is his coverage of the potential new TV deal and the way that it's affecting the league's projections for future cap levels. And the, the league's looking at a massive increase in cap and that would mean that Brandon Bass's seven million might be actually pretty cheap if the salary cap goes up by, you know, fifteen million or so, like it's projected to be over the next few years. Well, that's certainly going to help Brandon Bass in his new contract deal. It's certainly going to help LeBron James in his new contract deal. Is he technically only signed a one-year deal? I believe it was one or two years with an option, so that way he can opt out and then re-up after this new television deal gets through. I believe what the latest report was that Turner and ESPN was they were going to probably get this thing going again. This isn't going to hit the open market as it did 10 years ago. But, yeah, which, well... Which means they have to pay an unbelievable price to prevent it from basically going out into the open market. I mean, they have to oh, they have to throw so much money at the league that the league's like, fine, we know that this is ridiculous. We're not even going to have to put it out to open bidding because we're, we're fine with this amount. I don't think they even are, though. Am I correct? This isn't going to get to the open bidding process. No, it's basically it's basically a contract. Ex- yeah, but it is. It's just it's a lot bigger extension that we're used to seeing. <laughs> you know, like a few billion dollars here or there that they're hackling over. It's a little bit bigger. A uh, oh, few yeah, extra few, zeros few going billion. on there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah just a few billion. What I, I want to also to Jared get back to talking about this roster because we here we are training camps just a few weeks away. It's been. It feels like it could start. Uh, it feels like opening night could start probably tomorrow. As as cold as it's been in Boston already. I mean, we're, we're still technically in summer, but media days upon us. You'll be there. There's some other players that are intriguing. Uh, recent news, uh, if you want to call it news. Well, Tyler Zeller sat down with some reporters and talked about how excited he's playing. He's ex- excited he is to be a Celtic. He's gained muscle. Give us sort of your intakes on him. Is the starting center position really his to lose? Because personally, I think it's Zeller's position to lose. 
It is just because he's the only real pure center that's active on the roster right now. Favorani is in flux somewhere around there. We don't really know what's going to happen with him, uh, but I'd expect him to certainly be in the rotation. But you know, Zeller, he's happy that he's on a team where he's needed, which is great. Because don't forget, while he was getting some time because of Anderson Barajow's injury, he was still technically behind Anderson Barajow in the pecking order. But now he's in Boston where there's no center, there's no seven-footer above him in the pecking order. Uh, so he's probably going to get a good amount of time. And of course, Olenek's the other seven-footer besides Favorani, but obviously Olenek isn't really a center, he's really a power forward. Um, but you know, Zeller, he says that he added about 10 or 15 pounds. That's really crucial for him because he isn't really strong enough to really move guys down low. And he's he, he seems like he's got good down low skill. He's not like uh, Pau Gasol or Al Jefferson, but he's got nice hands around the basket. He could finish really well with his left hand, which is really vital because if you're at that height, being able to finish with your left hand is, is really the difference between getting a, a good shot off or not. So if he's able to really develop a back-to-the-basket game this year and go go from more than a pick-and-roll a roller, basically, to the rim and then, like, a 15-foot jump shooter, then that's where he kind of takes the next leap and becomes an effective center. I, I like I like the fact that he's here. He, I mean, the, the fact that they didn't really have to give up anything to get him here makes it a pretty fantastic acquisition. Anytime you can get a young center with potential for nothing, I mean, that's as good as it gets in the league, basically. So... Uh, it, it's it the uh, he's one of those guys that he kind of he has one of the best opportunities on the roster this year because there's not a lot of competition for him to fight off at his position and in his role. So when they need the seven footer down there, he's the guy, and there's not really anybody else that's really fighting him off right now. And he's kind of he's I think he's with a coach and with a team where his skill set can probably get utilized properly and developed properly. Oh, I think there's the Celtics have some big plans. That's why I brought this up. I think they have plans for Tyler Zeller. I think he was more than just a throw-in in that trade where everybody thought the key acquisition was accumulating another first-round draft choice. Back two years ago during that 2012 draft when the Celtics had two first-round draft choices, I was speaking with one of the executives for the team, and I actually bluntly asked. This was about two, three weeks before the draft, and I, I went up right up to this executive, and I just said, uh, who are you guys going to pick? Very facetiously said, well, who are you guys going to use with those uh, first-round draft choices? Ha, ha, ha. And flat out I was told, we want Tyler Zeller and Austin Rivers with those two picks. And I was like, well, really? Okay, yeah. <laughs> we were Okay. Now, as I, uh, as I believe it turned out, I don't think Zeller – even worked out for the Celtics because at this point or maybe a little later his stock eventually started to rise but I know the Celtics were big fans I know from firsthand they were fans of Tyler Zeller going into that draft so I think they were very satisfied of getting Zeller out of Cleveland and I don't think Zeller you know really stood out in Cleveland but his rookie season was decent I think last year he regressed a little bit but he was still a solid player. He has skill, and if he's really this good in the off season, really did this much work in the off season, he can be fairly effective. He, you know, he does, like you said, he doesn't have the back to the basket game or the footwork of an Al Jefferson or a Paul Gasol or whatnot. But he has a good face up game. He has a good face up shot. I believe he even played well against the Celtics, if I recall that game. I think it was at the end of December last year. They actually gave him some more minutes than he was normally accustomed to last year after, after Cleveland really reduced his minutes from his rookie season. He has skill. Uh, he certainly has more skill than Favarani. 
can he rebound? Can he play defense? Obviously, I don't think we expect him to be Dikembe Mutombo. Uh, I think very far from it. But can he play defense well enough that sort of just satiates his offense, that allows him offensively to do his thing? Because you don't want him to be a negative player on the court. But Sellers are certainly fans of him. I'm intrigued by him. I don't think he can really, you know, he's not a starting center on a championship team. But... In the words of Jeff Goodman, I think he's a piece. So I mean, he's actually sort of a storyline I'm actually looking forward to, uh, to or just going into the season. Well, the one problem for the Celtics is the only complete player they have on the roster right now would be probably Smart and Rondo if Rondo decides he wants to play defense again. Bradley certainly has made strides, but I wouldn't consider him to be an all, a really good all-around player on the level that those guys are right now. So... I mean, that's why the team isn't going to be a major win team this year. It's that they have a lot of guys that are good at a couple different things, and they're pretty far away from being complete players. While there's a lot of other teams out there that they have a team with five or six complete players. So it's going to be a long process. It's going to be a long year. But what's good is that they once again added guys that you're looking forward to watching them develop. I mean, Evan Turner is actually, I, I probably should have mentioned him. He's a guy that once seemed like he was going to be a complete player and certainly still has the potential to be. And don't forget, while Evan Turner, it feels like he's been this terrible disappointment forever, he was averaging like six, six months ago or more than that, but like half, halfway through the season before his trade. I mean, he was putting up big numbers. It was A lot of that was because of where he was playing. But exactly. I mean, he's, a, he's a guy that can at least light it up, though, and he's got a lot of talent still. So it's not like... It's not like he's at the Michael Beasley phase of his career where like the talent's not even really there anymore. I mean, he can he can go right right back to scoring 15 points a night for this team if he wants to. Uh, I have a feeling those were Todd Day numbers, those 15, 16 <laughs> points a game on one of the worst teams in NBA history. Definitely not a fan of Evan Turner's game. I think that was just, once again, Ainge just saying, oh, I can have this guy for the cheap and maybe I can turn him into something along with some of my other you know prospects or whatnot. Great, I'll take him. I think that's what it was. I think it was, it was the classic uh, Ocean State job lot. Oh, this was a nice little thing. Yeah, I'll just grab this thing, and it just sits in the closet for whatnot. And the next thing you know, you're donating it. You know, a year from now, or or six months from now, after you saw it on sale at the Christmas tree shop or Building 19 or whatever. Yeah, they, not they, a fan of uh, Evan Turner. Doesn't really have much really to offer. He's just okay to good at everything doesn't really do anything extraordinarily well which just doesn't really do anything in the nba there's got to be some facet of your game that you can go to night in and night out and he just doesn't have it and to top it off he's a terrible player outside from the outside he can't shoot beyond what 18 to 20 feet which i think is utterly useless for a guard in today's nba well, I would I would say your assessment I think is a little bit harsh on him. Uh, while the second half of the year went pretty poorly, I've generally been pretty pleased by the way that by Evan Turner's ability. It's just the execution has been the problem for him. But I, I, he's generally shown that he's got the skills to be a pretty good scorer, to be a real game changer. But it just the consistency hasn't been there. He looks like he's kind of playing with his blinders on whenever he's out there. He hasn't really shown that he's able to be a kind of an aware, alert, cohesive team player yet. And he's he's being put in a position where he's playing with a great ball handler and distributor in Rondo, and he's playing with some so so he can be a little bit more narrowed in his scope of play and just kind of be a scorer 
and maybe pass the ball a little bit while before he had a little bit too much responsibility for what he could handle. Uh, but I, I like I like his upside on this team better than most places. And he and his agent made it really clear that playing for Brad Stevens was like his biggest priority this offseason. So if you can get a guy to sign for it, if, if you're able to get a guy in his like situation where he's kind of like he's kind of trying to be on the rebound and he's coming into the situation saying that I really badly wanted to play for this guy and you were worried about his motivation, his effort and stuff like that before, then that's as good of that's that's kind of as good as a prognosis as you could hope for. Well, if. I'm not mistaken. I believe Turner's agent is David Falk. Am I correct? Yes. So Danny Ainge over the last, I don't know what it is, five or six years has just bowed to the altar of David Falk and accommodated him like he was a Roman general returning to the streets of Rome after a conquest victory. I don't know what it is, but he does everything in the world for David Falk. So, uh, I mean, of course... I would think Turner and even David Falk would say, oh, we love the Celtics because, I mean, look how Ainge treated Jeff Green, one of David Falk's main clients. So I, I really don't read much into that. I think that's just, oh, yeah, the Celtics were my number one option after he signed with the team. And I certainly wouldn't read much into what David Falk has to say about the Celtics tonight because I know David Falk thinks very highly of the Celtics. And I guess that's good that you have agents thinking highly of your team. You don't want them thinking too highly of your team because it means that they're probably taking you to the cleaners as Falk did with Danny Ainge over Jeff Green. So I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I don't think I can be too excited reading one one to two liners from Evan Turner in the Boston Herald on a Monday morning when I've seen Evan Turner in this league now for four years and I've seen pretty much the exact same player we were just speaking of Jeff Green, how Jeff Green was pretty much just in the same boat. He was like this exact same player he was from on day one as a rookie. No improvements, no real commitment to getting better, no just and not really a competitor. You don't really see the fire in Evan Turner, or you, I don't like using cliches or this or getting into the intangibles nonsense. But you really just don't see it with Turner. You don't see it with Green. So I just call me a pessimist in that. In this department here with Turner and with Jeff Green, I really don't buy what he said about the Celtics, and I certainly don't buy his game overall and him having an impact on this 2015 edition. Wow, that's that's pretty harsh words there. I'm I'm surprised. Um, I, I mean, I I'm just I'm higher on Evan Turner's situation just because it's such a low risk situation. I mean, you're you're paying him very little money for the value that he's going to give you, so. I, I don't look at it as I, I I mean I certainly look at it as the right move, but I understand that you're skeptic you're skeptical of whether or not Turner's gonna be effective. And it's funny, I'm just looking at the list of David Falk clients. I mean you have Roy Hibbert and Greg Monroe, another you know, more more of these guys that are so Washington. inconsistent. Yeah. It's like all these inconsistent guys. It's 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 very funny how that works out. But you know what? Let's move on to Jimmy Toscano here and get to our conversation with Jimmy Toscano on this edition of Celtics Beat. All right, we've got Jimmy Toscano from he's from everywhere. He's from Comcast Sportsnet New England. He's from the Metro Paper. He is from Celtics Blog and he's from Garden Report, which is a show that we co-host together after every single home game. Jimmy, how are we doing tonight? What's up, Jared? You actually got him all. Congratulations. Uh, what can I say? I've memorized your resume a thousand <laughs> times. You didn't you didn't get the Harvard <laughs> Law Review? No, yeah. All right, you did you did miss the Harvard one. I'll, I'll let that one slide this time. 
President of the United States, Jimmy Toscano, uh, we were just talking about Evan Turner, and we wanted to get your take on what you're expecting from him this season. I'm a big fan of the signing. I mean, I don't know exactly how it's all going to work out with, you know, with the minutes right now, but I expect him to come in, and I really do expect him to compete for, you know, I'm sure he wants to start. You know, I mean, obviously he wasn't a fan of coming off the bench there in Indiana. We all saw how that worked out. But in Philadelphia, I mean, he was a obviously on a team that, you know, wasn't a good team and they lost a lot of games, but we saw firsthand in a game against the Celtics last year what he can do when, you know, at certain points in the game. And, and honestly, if he can, you know, if he demands the ball in a certain way or if he's aggressive in, in a way that somebody like Jeff Green isn't, then I, I do think that Jeff Green's going to, you know, earn the, you know, have the playing time to start, start the year, you know, in the starting lineup. And I'm interested to see as the season goes on, how Evan Turner's minutes increase. Because I do expect him to increase, and I expect him to maybe have, you know, we could be talking about him having a potentially bigger role on this team at the end of the season than Jeff Green, whether or not Jeff Green's traded or not. I really do think that, uh, you know, he might have a bigger uh, a bigger chance of having a future on the Celtics than, than Green will. So I'm really interested. That's like one of the, I guess you could say, camp battles that I'm looking at is just that, you know, that swingman forward area uh, position battle going into camp. But don't you think, Jimmy, that there could be an issue almost the same way there was last year with Courtney Lee and that there was just there was just too much congestion at one spot? I understand, yeah, great, you want to sign Evan Turner because you want to accumulate assets and it can't hurt. He was cheap and blah, 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 blah. We went over this yeah. in the opening. But it was certainly an issue last year with Courtney Lee and, and basically some other players where I think it ended up having a negative effect on the team. If you remember, Courtney Lee was complaining about playing time when the team was actually probably playing its best basketball of the season when they were sort of hovering around that 500 mark. And then as it turned out, they ended up trading Courtney Lee for basically nothing, and Lee ended up having a nice finish to the season. Could it not be detrimental to the team where you have just too many okay to decent players at one spot, like Evan Turner and then Amy Bradley, and I guess since you, Turner's a swing man, you can even throw a guy like Jeff Green and Gerald Wallace in there. You don't think that could possibly be an issue on a team that I think most of us want to see actually make some strides next year? I don't. I mean, I know what you're saying, and, and there's definitely is some congestion. There's, you know, there's a little bit of redundancy in the roster. But when you when you get a team that's not expected to compete for the playoffs or, or you know, a title, obviously, I think you're just trying to see what works, and maybe maybe there will be some people, you know, a little bit unsatisfied with their playing time, thinking that they deserve more minutes, but they have to earn it. And Stevens, you know, hopefully the guys that have, have earned those minutes. And, yeah, they got rid of, uh, you know, the Courtney Lee. But I think, the, obviously, the contract was a big reason why they did get rid of Courtney Lee. I mean, they expected more out of him. He didn't really seem to, even though he caught on a little bit towards the end, and obviously he, he played a lot better in Memphis, he, you know, he underperformed here in Boston. I think Evan Turner's coming in in a different situation where he's looking to prove himself. Obviously, the deal that he signed with Boston is a smaller one. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a former really you know, top pick just a couple of years back. So he's got a lot to prove. And I, I, I think it's healthy competition. If, if somebody's going to be sour about it or or complain about it, then maybe they will get traded just the same way Courtney Lee did. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think Brad Stevens, you know, they want to they wanna see who they've got. And if Devin Turner pushes Jeff Green or pushes Avery Bradley or whoever it may be to, to try harder out there to, to earn his spot in the roster, then that's, you know, that's something that I'm all for. Okay, so we're probably not expecting Evan Turner to be starting. So who do you think is going to be right. the starters? 
all the start. Who I think is in the starting lineup? Yeah. Well, obviously Rondo. I guess we can we can say no, that. Assuming he's you not traded. <laughs> Assuming he's not traded, you got Rondo and Bradley in your backcourt. Which we we don't say that often. I mean, one of those guys is usually injured. So hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, those two guys are healthy to start the year here, and we can have that backcourt. Then you've got I think you've got Jeff Green, you've got Jared Sellinger, and you've got uh, Zeller. You got Tyler Zeller, and I I think Zeller is, is another under the radar acquisition by the Celtics. I'm kind of uh, I'm high on him a little bit. I think I've heard, I haven't seen him in person, but I've heard that he put on some muscle over the offseason. I mean, listen, the Celtics clearly don't have uh, that many legit centers we can talk about here. I mean, Vitor Favarani, if you want to really start digging. But Sellinger is undersized, Bass is undersized, Olenek, you know, these guys aren't traditional centers. So I think Zeller is, is a guy who's going to step in, and, and he does have some semblance of a relationship with you know, with Stevens through whether it's through his brother or what, those you know, that that family knows you know, those families know each other, so there's some there's a connection there already. So I am kind of uh I'm kind of uh, interested to see how Zeller performs here in camp and I think that you know uh, you know, game one I think he's gonna be announced as a starter. We were talking about Zeller in the opening ourselves and I actually even had mentioned how the Celtics actually wanted Zeller in that two thousand twelve draft. I'm with you. I think that I mean I I mean I think I I I say I think I like Tyler Zeller because I I yeah. uh, I'm honest. I don't watch 82 Cleveland Cavalier games a year. In fact, I watch. <laughs> I'm lucky to watch the two games they play against the Celtics. Right. But well, you'll see a lot more this year. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm certainly going to see a lot more of Tyler Zeller this year. Do you think though that Tyler Zeller? Do you think that he could be a piece? on a decent team, or is he just going to be another asset accumulated by Ainge that is just going to be thrown as a poker trip, uh, as a poker chip and as something a little bit, a little greater down the road? I don't, I mean, I don't think they acquired him to be an asset. Um, I don't think a lot of teams are, you know, like, oh my gosh, Tyler Zeller, oh, we can get him in a deal. That's great. No, I, but I do think that he was underused in Cleveland. I'm not sure why, but last year, for whatever reason, he took a step back in his playing time after what I thought was a pretty solid rookie year over there. And if you look at his numbers, when he started to get playing time towards the end of the last season, he was putting up better numbers. So I think they just, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why they acquired him. But I'm assuming they did because they think he can play and they, they obviously see a void on their line in their lineup for the center position. So, I mean, I, I, I'm fine with the signing. I, I, I don't think that they're, they're planning on trading him unless, Unless it's a mega deal, whereas you know, obviously you, you don't just hold on to Zeller if, if he gets a deal done. But I think they they traded him to play him, to use him. He reminds me a lot of Spencer Hawes in a lot, a lot of ways. Yeah, I generally don't like to do the white boy to white boy comparison, but yeah, but those are guys that they have they, like they have ability to score around the rim, even though they don't you know particularly have dominating skill sets or look like they're really effective post players. They're kind of they're always in position to get the ball near the rim. And, pretty quickly they both have a solid 15 foot jump shot they're not very effective defensively but they're pretty decent rebounders and they seem to make the plays generally when they need to but they do it at at kind of at a a level of production that would be more commensurate with being like a backup big or like the center on a team where you're surrounded by two other really effective guys near the rim so zeller zeller is probably a decent fit for what they're doing now 
and he probably projects to be like, I mean, you look at Spencer Hawes, he's been a sol- solid player for a while, and he just got the full mid-level in L.A., so you're, you're probably looking at Zeller as being a guy like that that could possibly be a full mid-level exception player in the future and be like a solid backup center. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, listen, they didn't get a franchise player in Zeller. They got a guy that, like you said, he can, he can play a position right now on a team that's trying to see what works, you know, they're not expected to be a playoff team, but <clears throat> I do think that he can help a winning team as well. Now, is he, is he the starting center on a team like the Bulls or the Thunder or a team that's really competing for the NBA Finals? No, probably not, but he's definitely a guy that can be a rotation player. So right now, yeah, maybe he's your starting center, and, and if you end up with a, another center on down the road that is more of a starting caliber, I think Zeller could definitely find a spot coming off the bench and you know, spelling whoever that center would be. Jimmy, we're actually about a half hour into the show, and we've talked about Evan Turner. We've talked about Brandon Bass selling his home in Needham. We've talked about Marcus Thornton. We've barely talked about Rajon Rondo, believe it or not. So mm-hmm. but I believe it was Bob Ryan who said that he expects Rondo to be gone by the All-Star break. We all heard that, or not heard, we all saw this Jackie McMullen around the horn, off the air, YouTube clip or whatnot, that Rondo's out of here at some point, some point in time. What's your prediction with him? Do you think that he's a Celtics for life? Is he gonna, or is there a deadline where you would expect him not to be in a Celtics uniform? It's so hard to predict, right? I mean, everyone has their own take or reason, but nobody knows. Really, nobody has any clue. And uh, if I was to guess, I don't. I mean, I don't think he's going to be a Celtics for life. I, I think that Danny Ainge. I think one thing we can agree on is that Danny Ainge will absolutely trade Rondo for the right price. The problem is, he. He obviously values Rondo more than other GMs around the league do. And with the injury to Rondo, listen, if you're a GM of another team and Rondo's in the last year of his deal coming off a major injury, why would you trade, you know, a a few, whether it's a couple of young guys or whether it's a a couple of draft picks, why would you make that trade without knowing what Rondo's going to do? Because by all accounts, it sounds like Rondo's going to test the free agent market. He's going to look for a big contract. He wants one of those max deals or something very close to it. So I, I don't know if the Celtics will trade Ron. I think they're going to try to, but I wouldn't be shocked if he stays with them all year. I think I, what I do think is it's going to be a distraction the entire way, whether or not he, he's traded. Up to the point he's either traded, signed, or re-signed, it's going to be a huge distraction. It's going to be the main storyline all season long. So I don't know how that's going to negatively affect the team or if it will or not. But do I think he's going to be so for life? No. Would I be surprised if they re-signed him? No, and do I think they would be really happy about resigning him? No. So I, I honestly don't know if, if there's a real good scenario for the Celtics unless they, Danny Ainge is blown away. And if the only way that would happen, I think, is if a contending team or, or a team that's looking to make the leap, if one of their players was down with an injury and now all of a sudden they're saying, well, we can get this guy, you know, we went as well at, at this point, or you know, we're this close to getting to the next step, and maybe we can convince Rondo to stay. But it does present teams like, say, the Kings, who have an interest in Rondo, because Rondo allegedly has said that he doesn't want to play there or won't be signed there. So that, it just takes potential suitors off, off the list there. So it's definitely kind of interesting to see how that all plays out. All right. Well, that horse has been smacked around enough, I think, this offseason. So let's, let's talk about what we actually know is going to be happening is his performance. We know he's going to be there at least for the next yeah. week. So who knows really, but assuming he's <laughs> going to be there and he's playing, what are you expecting for his actual performance? Because before he got hurt, he obviously was still as talented as ever and physically capable as ever, but 
the way that he was playing wasn't really producing good results. It was too. It was weirdly selfish in that he was passing the ball too much, which only only Rondo could do. Only Rondo could be selfish in passing the ball too much. But it seemed like he wasn't being very valuable in the way that he was kind of overdoing the assist streak and all that kind of stuff. And he came back last year. He was playing pretty steadily, but he obviously was physically just not the same guy at that point and skill-wise looked pretty rusty. So what are you expecting, at least for the first few months of the season? Is Rondo going to be back to that guy that we saw a few years ago that was like a top-10 player in the league? Or is he going to be kind of like a middle-of-the-road guy like he was uh, like before he got hurt? I'm expecting to see him play the way he played before the injury. I, don't, I think last season when he came back, I mean, when you're coming back from an injury like that, you're obviously going to be thinking about it. You know, your your wind isn't there. You're not used to the the you know the same physical, you know, the physicalness of the of the NBA game and the, and the pace and all that stuff. It's it's and it's mental too. I mean, everybody who's come back from that injury says the same thing. Like you're not you're not right until about a year after you come back. And I think next, I think this season we're going to see the Rondo that we were maybe used to seeing before he went down. Now I don't know what that means about his passing, whether or not his his uh, style of play is going to change. Which I, but I expect him to be more explosive than he was last season. I think that's the one thing we all noticed, that he wasn't really the, ex- the same explosive player that he was before. So I'm expecting to see I'm expecting to see contract year Rondo, and I, I think that's going to be kind of like nationally televised Rondo, which we won't see much of this season, but we are going to see contract year Rondo. So I expect to see uh, him play. You know, listen, he wants a max contract. He's gonna have this. This is the time to prove that you're a max player. Because right now, I think he's almost fallen out of the discussion of top ten point guard. I think you honestly can make a case that he's not a top ten point guard, depending on what you think of guys like like Ty Lawson and you know or Goran Dragic and those types of players. I think he's in that category now. And if he wants to climb back into that, you know, top five discussion, he's gonna have to really prove it. What do you make of say? There's been now. I believe there's been a few uh, stories out. It seems that this is coming in now every year. I remember the last year with Garnett and Pierce and after Allen, Ray Allen left, all the talk all training camp was what a leader Rondo was and yada, yada, yada. And it really was just them just sort of force-feeding this leadership role to Rondo. Now we're hearing it again, how Brad Stevens loves him, how those rookies like James Young, they can't wait to play with him. How much of this do you think is actually contrived, or do you really think that this is sort of make or break time with Rondo in, in terms of leadership and being the the right kind of teammate on what's expected to be a losing team? Yeah, I mean the whole leadership thing. It, it's it's hard to. I mean, we 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 only see them such a little amount in, in the locker room, and obviously we see what they're like on the court. And by by what my eyes see, that the players love the teammates love them. I mean, he's a player that obviously, you know, Jared was just talking about how he passes too much. He's not a selfish guy in, in that way. Um, but it, but it is one, it is something that's come up. You know, can he leave the team? And I definitely agree with you that they were force feeding the idea of him. You know, this is his team now. You know, he's the leader. He's the guy that everyone turns to. He's a quiet guy. I mean, we've also heard that you know he's not very well liked from around the league. He's like kind of like in the, in the way KG was where. It seems like he's not very well liked around the league, but when he's on your team, you like him a lot. So I think Rondo could potentially be, you know, one of you know, and KG kind of took him under his wing there. So you know, for for better for better for worse, in that in that you know aspect of his of his game, I think he can be a leader, but I, I don't think that he shows it in the way that maybe we all want him to show it. You know, he's not the 
doesn't seem like the rah-rah guy, you know, out there. You know, he's not going to have, you know, these inspiring quotes before and after games. It's going to really get you thinking that he's firing the team up. But he works hard, and the young guys seem to, you know, they they look at that, and I think they try to. I think Ron is a lead by example guy, and if that works for him, and I guess we'll find out if it works for his teammates. Jimmy, I want to ask you one more question before we get you out of here. Going into the season, I think a lot of the, almost everybody expects the Celtics team to sort of at best do what thirty-ish wins. How important do you think it is for this team to either get better this season, compete for a playoff spot? God forbid, be like the 2014 Phoenix Suns, or do you think it'll be more beneficial? I've talked to Jeff Goodman on the show in the past. That do you think it'll be more beneficial that the team stinks again, gets another high lottery pick, if not wins a lottery? If there's an option for you, Jimmy, like mm-hmm. behind Dorian Murray is 20 wins or 20 to 25 wins, top three uh, lottery pick chances, and behind Door Door B is you know a team that fights hard every night and competes for a, a playoff spot. Uh what what door would you take there? I think because of the because of the players that are on this team now, I wanna see I wanna see something out of these guys. I I really want to see what Sellinger can do, what Olinick can do. I wanna see smart. I want you know I, I, I wanna see young. I want to see those guys play well because if the Celtics play well and win, well then now you're starting to generate value for these players. If Danny Ainge does want to make a trade, I mean, one of the reasons they didn't get Kevin Love was because they couldn't put it together the best package, which means that that Flip Saunders or other teams, if they wanted to trade for other players, weren't high enough on those players. So if they go through another 20-win season, I mean, that tells me that generally speaking, these young guys, these guys that they've drafted or or, or you know traded for the past few years, aren't playing that well. So I don't I don't expect them to be the Phoenix Suns. I I don't think anybody uh, expected the Phoenix Suns to play as well as they did last year. But I would be pretty disappointed if they ended up as a 21 team. That said, I, I don't expect a ton of them. I expect them to be in the low 30s or mid to low 30s, which I think that you know at, you know at some point talent talent does win out, and you can still play well and and just not get the win at the end of the day if you don't have the right type of closers. But I'm going to be interested in, in just seeing the young players develop. And hopefully some of those translate to wins. And, and it's good for Brad Stevens to get some hard-earned wins under his belt with these young guys and sort of build something. Because like guys like Marcus Smart, they're going to hopefully be on this team for years to come. You don't want to just get this loser's mentality you know, your first couple of years into, into the league. You want to win some games and start to see some progress. And just one more thing, uh, Marcus Smart's here with Bradley and Rondo, which I'm sure a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads on, uh, looking at it from a roster perspective. But as far as a three-guard lineup, it's something that is very rarely done, and you're doing it with three guys that aren't really good outside shooters. I mean, do you think yeah. it's something that could work for them this year, at least in short spurts? In very short spurts, maybe on the defensive side of things, I think defensively it's a great it's a great thing. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be like pestering the opposition for however many minutes those three guys are out there. But like you just said, I mean, those are three guys that they can't, you know, that shooting that I don't that outside shot is not their strong suit. I mean, we already know that with Rondo. Every time he takes an outside shot, though he has gotten better, even when he's but when he's still taking those shots, people are kind of like uh, cringing a little bit. Same with Bradley, even though Bradley has developed a you know a pretty solid corner three. Um, but you know, 
I think that they'll go to it from time to time, but you can still find a way to get smart in there, whether he's spelling Rondo or Bradley. I think you can still get him plenty of minutes. So I don't think they're going to do that a ton, especially because, as we talked about earlier in the show, there's there's guys like Green in there, there's guys like, you know, there's Turner, there's, you should get a deal with Wallace has to find playing time. So you get all these guys playing time. I, just, I don't think they'll go to the three-guard uh, lineup that often. But it's matchups, so who knows. All right, well, actually, one more thing before we go is we got our show, The Garden Report, uh, who's hosted by the devilishly handsome man. I don't know what his, what his name is off the top of my head. And then, of course, <laughs> yourself. But we, um, we've we got a good new season coming up here. Evans Clinchy has moved on. And I wanted to ask you on the spot what you can remember your best memory of Evans. Uh, now that he's moved away to the other side of the country, uh, what, what's your best memory of him uh, on The Garden Report? I would say just the fact that he was he's the realist slash maybe pessimist in, in the group where I can remember you, you know, waxing poetic over somebody and him just getting ready to just tear you apart as soon as you <laughs> stop talking. Just and and you know exactly the look he like he'll have his oh, left yeah. hand out, his left yep. hand his arm is completely out and he's just looking at you like, Are you kidding me right now? And don't get him started on, on Jeff Green or Jared Sellinger's three point shots. Those you know, after that, it's, it's game over. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, thanks for coming on. Uh, tell tell us what you're working on now over the next couple of weeks before the season starts. Oh, we're gearing up for uh, we're just gearing up for the media day it's in a couple of weeks. Jeez, it's coming right up. It's like ten days away, so we're gearing up for that at CSN. I was actually in Waltham today. We filmed a few episodes of Celtics Talk TV, which is me, Ashrod Blakely, and Kyle Draper. We do a little three man uh, three man weave type show. We've uh, hit on a couple of topics, a lot of the topics that we discussed today. So that'll be uh, those will be uh, on CSNE.com next week throughout the week. And then soon enough, we'll be uh, reporting live from the Garden. All right, Jimmy, thanks for joining us. All right, see you. See you later. For over six years, CLNS Radio has been offering you free exclusive content on your favorite sports teams. But in 2014-2015, CLNS has its biggest plans to date. With the mobile app in the works, our website optimized to be lightning fast, our equipment upgrades and exclusive locker room content coming from yours truly and our team down there at the TD Garden. We now need your help, so show your support for CLNS Radio, our staff of volunteer writers and podcast hosts, by going to clnsradio.com slash patrons and show your support by keeping CLNS Radio free no amount is too little. That's clnsradio.com slash p-a-t-r-o-n-s. All right, you want to just now shift to the... Okay. Yeah. All right, I thought you were going to cut there. All right, good. No, good. All right. And ready? Yep. All right. So that was a great talk with Jimmy, as always. Even some good stories about our departed friend Evans, who moved away and won't be on the show again this upcoming season. Uh, but one of the most unpredictable things for this upcoming season will be the actual win total for this team, because this team is really hard to get a pulse on. There's a lot of teams in the league that you're saying, that team's a 55-win team, that team's a 35-win team. The Philadelphia 76ers will be the first team to lose all 82. But... The Celtics, they could be anywhere from like a 35-win team to as bad as a 22-win team, depending on what happens with them gutting the roster. It's really hard to predict. But if you're looking at this team now, Larry, what do you see for their actual win totals or just their general ability to perform? And 
is that what they should be doing? Should they be winning? Should they be getting the eighth pick in the draft and be another Detroit, you know, one of these teams that is always getting the picks towards the end of the lottery and never really getting great talent and then eventually finding a gem like Andre Drummond? Or should they be gunning for that top three pick? Well, I certainly hope that we don't have to go through, and I know you agree with this as well. I know many, I certainly don't hope we have to go through this again next year where it's just, well, hopefully they lose as many games as possible and they get a high pick. I think it's pretty much blatantly obviously now. I think last year we sort of gave them a pass. We knew they had nothing on the team. It was about gutting the roster. It was about playing, you know, experimenting certain players at certain spots. It was about playing out the strings with certain guys like Chris Humphreys who were only here out of technicalities, of trades, to match salaries. Now that this team actually needs to start building towards the future. And last year was Brad Stevens' first year. He came into this last season kind of expecting the team to lose a lot of games. He probably wants – oh, he obviously wanted to keep winning. But I think going – it just wouldn't really be beneficial to a guy like him – to some players, even to, and then other other younger players on the team for the them to just have the losses pile up. Unfortunately, it's starting to look well. It's starting. It's been that way. It's beginning. It's looking like the team is at best going to do like thirty three wins, and at worst could do another you know twenty three, twenty four you know stink fest throughout the season. I would like to, you know, I'd love to see this team compete, play hard. It's certainly feasible in the Eastern Conference. I mean, we've seen, you know, terrible teams like Milwaukee in years past, you know, win like 38, 39 games, get the eighth seed, fight hard, maybe win a game in the first round of the playoffs. I I wouldn't have an issue with that. I I would like to see this team because if you recall, back in June, all that Kevin Love talk, they didn't, or Minnesota did not want the Jared Sollinger's the Kelly Linux, it wasn't that they wouldn't want them. They just didn't think that they were proven enough. And players just aren't going to look great on a losing team. They can look good on a losing team. But players like Selinger, uh, no one can look good on a team that wins 25 games. Would you agree with that or not? I vaguely agree with that. Uh, I, I think if you're really, really dominating individually, you can. I mean, look at Jody Meeks. He just got a... He just got significantly overpaid because he was looking really good on that Laker team. Um, if you're if you're a guy that can really score and is a multi-dimensional scorer, then you can look really great on these really bad teams, and that's what Evan Turner was doing for a while. Um, but there, there's, I mean, no one's going to want a guy that fosters a losing situation. Everybody's going to want a guy that enhances a losing situation. So with these guys, especially guys like Avery Bradley, I think Bradley did a good job of making the most of what he had last year where he had a little bit more offensive responsibility, but he still kept bringing it defensively. And most of the league was looking at him seeing that even though his offensive struggles continued and he was on a team where maybe he was one of the few guys really being effective on defense, he never really gave up and he kind of really continued throughout the year to really bring it on defense. And Teams, when you're playing on a really bad team, that means that you're more disposable, which means that teams are going to be looking at you even more closely and you're going to be auditioning even more for the rest of the league. So you want to develop a team that they understand that everybody's watching them, not just their own team or their own fans. You mentioned Avery Bradley. He's sort of talked a lot over the summer how he's actually expecting this team to be one of the best defensive teams in the league, how he expects the team to compete. Same thing Tyler Zeller said the same thing about playoffs. And, of course, you're going to have 
a bunch of guys on the team say playoffs because obviously you wanted to set a semi-reasonable goal, and I'd call the playoffs semi-reasonable. It's it's certainly attainable. It's certainly possible. It's slim, but it's possible. Uh, it's it, it's interesting that you that you mentioned Bradley. It's good to see with Avery Bradley taking. I don't want to you know use this term again. It's just so blasé now. This leadership role. He's sort of grasping things by the horns. He seems pretty excited about this season. So at the very least, if Bradley wants to become sort of not really the veteran leader on the team or the captain, but sort of an important guy in the locker room, I want to see this team sort of lay a foundation this year and maybe build upon it. Like, say, a 38-win season, but just injecting that positive winning culture into the locker room and around the franchise that just shows the players on the team and even players around the league that this is going to be taking it seriously. I always sort of look back at how Sacramento built their team back in the early 2000s. I mean, I know they're not like the model because they never won a championship, but they got incrementally better every single season after they got guys like Weber and Vlade Divac, and then those guys sort of meshed together. And they just, like, I think they spent two years as like an eight seed. They pestered the top seeds. I think they played Utah and the Lakers, and they had great series with them. And they, you know, the year after that, like a few years after that, they ended up winning 50 they went, you know, went to the second round of playoffs, and then they had that you know year where they probably should have won. Well, they probably they definitely should have won the championship that year. I'd like to, I'd love to see that this year. Guys like Solinger maybe take the big step forward and become like an eighteen and nine guy, borderline all star. Olenek proves that he's like a solid starter slash reserve, and then guys like Avery Bradley have their role, and of course Rondo hopefully returns to being you know the two thousand eleven two thousand twelve Rondo. I'm not the biggest fan, but. We know that's an all-star player, and that's certainly enough. That's certainly the recipe for a team that could, if they bring it every night or mostly every night, could fight hard and compete for a playoff spot and then go from there in seasons to come when you add start adding better players to the team and the players on your team get better. Yeah, well, you know, the I'm just, I can't stop thinking about the thing you said that Avery Bradley said that he thought this team was going to be one of the top defensive teams in the league because I'm looking at their personnel and I'm thinking, what is Avery Bradley seeing that I can't see? Because I saw them have a pretty a dec- a, a good perimeter defense last year, but a poor interior defense. But this year, for interior defense, they added Tyler Zeller, and that's it. And uh, on the outside, they added – I mean, Marcus Smart's the only good defender that they really added uh, for perimeter, but Marcus Smart is pretty much the same player defensively that Avery Bradley is. So – they're not really bringing a lot of variety there, and they're not going to be able to defend bigs very well, and they're not going to be able to really rotate through the pivot whenever the perimeter defense breaks down. So it's hard to imagine me seeing them really improve defensively from a personnel standpoint. It's really how much how much more effective is the coaching going to be this year? What are they going to change? What has Brad Stevens and his staff learned over the offseason, and how can they implement it? Uh, that's stuff we don't really know that much about right now, but we'll certainly see some of it once the season starts. Well, the uh, attitude is certainly there, and I do like reading about Avery Bradley in August. I really do. I mean, God forbid, thank you for speaking up in August. Are the Celtics going to be one of the best defensive teams in the league this year? No. I mean, that's just probably him just being in complete denial, but that's it's a good denial. He, of course, you probably look at you and I look around the roster. Unless Avery Bradley is given a ladder and allowed to play center with that ladder, of course, the, the interior defense is going to be atrocious. Perimeter defense could be well, you know, pretty good, depending if Rondo gets back to, oh, geez, 2008 2009 form. But. 
I just like I like the feistiness that Bradley is showing off the court because I know he's got it on the court. And like I mentioned earlier about culture, I think that's what is most important for this team this year. I, I do want to see this team maybe establish, even if it isn't a, a good identity, it's just some sort of identity of what this team's known for. And if this team is known for being a hustling, feisty, pesty team where you got to earn your win every single night and they're sort of the classic tough out like for a good team on a back-to-back – I'd love to see that from this year's Celtics team because I think that's just going to be that much that beneficial to them going forward. Well, I mean, attitudes ninety five percent of what matters when it comes to developing teams. It's really the teams that get really good. They have a really good institutional structure from top down. They have really good scouting, of course, and they're they're just generally teams that set a positive environment and let the players be in a situation where to become better and to play better together on the court. And there's a bunch of teams that have done that very well. There's some teams that have done that very poorly. I mean, you compare the way that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, let's say, Oklahoma looked when they were a little bit younger, the way that Indiana looked while they were playing fantastic basketball over the last two years. You compare that to what Detroit's had going on. You know, it's most of it is how well run is the team itself and we know that the front office has been generally top-notch for the celtics we've only got one year under you know under the belt for this new coaching staff which is pretty much entirely a new coaching staff and it looked it looked like things were working pretty well from a coaching perspective last year but talent was a major issue for them uh and they did they did improve in the way they were able to run their team throughout the season just that the talent kept kind of changing for them but you know, I, I think that we've seen enough so far to project that the, the team that's in place will benefit from the personnel that's in place in the front office and the coaching staff. And that this is one of those franchises where it's run well enough that you can expect a positive attitude from players, a dedication to work from players. And they've shown that they wanna, they're going to move out guys that aren't really fitting into that mold. Or they're going to try to at least move out guys that don't fit into that mold. And you look at Jordan Crawford, a guy that we're going to talk about soon. He went from scoring 14 points a game for them to when they realized that they could get out from dealing with him and get something out of it, they were ready to make that move. And now he's going to China. Certainly, and it would be interesting to see who would be the next Jordan Crawford on this team. I certainly don't see Marcus it. Marcus Thornton. I, I, I meant well, I was going to say Marcus Thornton, but I don't know how in the world that guy is going to see the floor. So, I mean, I think maybe, you know, you don't, you hope that you hope that it isn't really Rondo, because if it is Rondo, that means that this team really isn't making, you know, the strides that it is forward. And it's just Rondo just showcasing himself the same way Jordan Crawford was essentially showcasing himself. And as soon as, oh, we can get, you know, we can sell high on this guy like he was just nothing more than a, than a Microsoft stock will do, because if that's the case. So, well, you know, the, the one silver lining there is that if. If the season devolves to just showcasing Rondo, then you know that, that's a pretty fun thing to watch. I mean, Rondo's a really fun player to watch. It depends what your taste in the game is. If you're if you're a guy that likes to watch uh, Vince Carter jump over people every single time, then you know you might not like Rondo. But if you're like me and you're you like great pure basketball skill, then Rondo's exci- as, as as exciting a player to watch in the league. So I would be happy to watch a season where it's just Rondo running amazing plays left and right, throwing great passes, running great transition. That sounds pretty fun to me. Well, I ain't gonna lie. I, 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 for me personally, I certainly can't deal with another season that was as bad as last year. I just, oh, just, nobody can. 
yeah, just please. I, 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 I would like to see this team compete for a playoff spot. I'd love to see this team compete for a championship so that way there's a lot of interest in the Celtics and uh, they'd be listening to Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio every Saturday afternoon. Well, then we'll have to revisit that conversation about five years from now at least. Hopefully less. All right, well, let's get into the NBA around the league in five, around the NBA in five. First off, Danny Ferry on indefinite leave. Will he return, Larry? Obviously, I want to say obviously not, but be pers- I don't think he will. I've, obviously, that's a mess of a situation down there. When when guys give themselves indefinite leaves, that essentially means infinite leaves. They're out. They're most likely just waiting for the dust to settle. And that way, when they give themselves an indefinite leave, they could just sort of quietly resign however many weeks or even months from now. Like, oh, by the way, it'll be right in the ticker Danny Ferry resigns as Hawks. Because if he resigned now, it'd be like huge news. Indefinitely means he can just sort of take a break. He'll resign a few weeks from now. He's out of here. And I'm sure he willingly and voluntarily took that indefinite leave on his, out of his own volition just to spend more time with his family or whatever. I mean, obviously, he was he's essentially being suspended, but in nicer terms. Cause oh, yeah, he cheated on his wife, right? The press conference is coming any minute now. He cheated on his wife. But yeah. Dominique Wilkins, uh, former Celtic, right? Dominique Wilkins. <laughs> is that what he's known yeah, for? Yeah, the number 12. Dominique Wilkins, though, interested in joining the Hawks, the new Hawks ownership group. Your take? It's a no-brainer for him. I mean, he's basically like the face of the Hawks still. He does the he does the color for the TV there down there. Um, and look, I mean, the TVs and the internets and the pudding pops and stuff. I mean, Dominique is the face of the franchise. He's uh, it's a no-brainer for him to be a part of that ownership group. The only th- the only question is, is he going to still be a commentator while he's an owner? That that would be pretty interesting. Was it Vince McMahon, a commentator, when he was the owner of WWF? I think that'd be the case down there. I don't think he's going to be. I feel. I feel like the the level of standards between the WWF and the NBA are slightly different. Yeah, but I I certainly agree with you. I think you do want to have Neek as so even if it's like this sort of just token, sort of just nonsense, like to, uh, Magic Johnson buying the Dodgers. Like I think, what what, what does Magic Johnson own of the Dodgers? Like two percent. But we all say, yo, Magic Johnson owns the Dodgers because it's Magic Johnson. He shoved his face in the press conference. I think, obviously, that's what the Hawks need. The Hawks have terrible fan bases is down there, so any terrible PR they get is just more dirt on their grave. So, no-brainer for the Hawks, I, would, I think. That's just state the obvious. Me and you agree 100%. Yeah, Neek, have Neek put in that, I think it was a 10 million is the minimum to be like a minority owner, right? So put in that 10 million, which is definitely a lot of money. I don't, I, I only have 9 million to throw at a team right now. I don't have 10. Um, but it, it make him the, the the executive vice president of community outreach, stuff like that. Just throw him at a bunch of events, have him do meet and greets with season ticket holders, and all that kind of stuff. It's a perfect situation. It increases the community interaction with the team, which is exactly what they need. Because, right, because the whole thing, the whole email scandal centered around the fact that they were low on season ticket holders. So make Neek an owner, let play, let season ticket holders, their incentive to get season tickets is you can be part of a dinner event with Neek, the owner and all that kind of stuff. It, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you want to buy the rest of the Hawks with me, I think I got a million dollars lying around somewhere underneath my mattress if you give me a few minutes. Okay, well, a guy that's got a lot of money laying around is Kevin Garnett, and he is back at the facilities in Brooklyn for what appears to be his last season in the NBA. What are your expectations for that final year for him? 
Yeah, he's made, what, 300-plus million in his career. He certainly has enough money lying around. I don't expect much from Kevin Garnett this year. He's probably going to play about 50, 60 games, average maybe 10.6 rebounds. He's really sputtering now to the finish line. We were talking with Ian Eagle about him. He didn't expect him back. I think this was our, we've had Ian on the show a few times. In April, he did not expect him back. If he did not think the Nets were not going to compete this year. I don't think me and you both agree. I think almost the world agrees. Brooklyn is a fringe playoff team in the Eastern Conference. It's somewhat painful seeing... It, I think it's going to be somewhat painful seeing Garnett play on this Brooklyn team. I think I, this just has shades of Willie Mays in the 1973 World Series the Mets written all over it. Or Dominique Wilkins for the Boston Celtics. Right, yeah. Jeez, oh, Dominique Wilkins for the Boston Celtics. I mean, it's it, it, it's tough. I mean, I know he can sort of still bring it defensively in terms of just being in the right spot, but I hate to say it, it's sort of, I think KG just wants to grab that last $12 million. That is on his contract, and it's his right, but I it's obviously going to be his last year. I hate to you know, say he's trying to grab his last $12 million, but is that not the only reason why he'd come back to a pretty poor Nets team? Oh, I, I think KG cares more about playing than he does the money. I mean, he, he he's, twelve million doesn't really mean a ton to him anymore. Obviously, it definitely is very important that he gets that money, but he's playing for the love of the game and to be able to say goodbye maybe on his terms. That's going to do it for around the NBA in five, and it's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astro Vex, and Steph Legretto. I have be sure. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics beat on CLNS radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guest, Jimmy Toscano for our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, also Larry H. Russell. I'm Jared Weiss. We will see you next Saturday with special guest, Jad Finn of the Boston Globe for another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.